Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone Levine, Laurie McDougall, Annie Highwater, and Kayla Solomon. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies and Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. This topic is about if there's a family member with high needs, whether it's substance use or some other issue that they're dealing with, it's really important for the folks that are dealing through craft to turn around and look at the people that are not such high need, especially siblings of somebody who might be using substances. And the most important thing is to not I want I really want people not to walk away feeling guilt and shame about not doing enough or not doing it right. That's not the point. The point is this is information that allows you more choices and allows you to really open up your world more to see the people that are not necessarily as loud or as needy as as people to connect with and and provide attention to them and, and have more back and forth. When we talk about craft and building that bridge of communication, you expect it to sort of be the parent that that is going to make this effort with craft and come in and, and work with their adult child. But in many cases, as in the one I was uh, thinking about for today, the sibling is 13 years old and the brother who has significant mental health issues and an opioid addiction would run around the country and go on these sort of trips and, and then end up suicidal and call her. And so the 13-year-old sister is left with this untenable situation where she's hearing her brother talk about wanting to end it. And he's in another state and she has the wherewithal to say, where are you? What state are you? And can somehow somebody find you at 13? But if she turns to her mother, her mother has just can't deal anymore. This has been a lifelong issue with the brother and is turning away from the 13 year old. So what a what a terrible position f for that 13 year old. And, and that continued until he he did die of an overdose. And Kayla, you've had experiences with siblings and, and it's it's a very tough situation for them. And they're often not paid enough attention to when the squeaky wheel is the person with addiction or the person with the disability, the person with the mental health issue, right? Absolutely. And, and I think what would be great is if we could really talk about the life from the sibling position, because it's its own position and it's the, whether it's responsibility or neglect or feeling overwhelmed or, feeling frustrated or feeling fed up. This person is living in the household with the person who gets all the attention. It's like, how do you, how do you deal with the siblings needs? How do you make sure that they're getting their needs met when they're not the squeaky wheel and they seem fine? We have to assume that they're not fine. And so just because they're quiet and seem to be low maintenance, that doesn't mean that they don't need attention. And, you know, just personally, my, I grew up with a disabled brother and that he was the absolute focal center of attention in my family. He had a high, he was high need. He needed full-time attention and care. And until I was 21, my mother had no idea 
about what the impact was on me and my other brother. Not a clue because we were very functional and went off on our own and did what we needed to do. And even when we were little, we were pretty functional, but it was because we had no choice. And so what's what's fascinating to me is it's the same dynamic, you know, because we're dealing with a form of, you know, different ability. And what happens is if you're a parent, you're spending all of your time trying to manage this untenable situation. And then the the sibling that doesn't need as much attention doesn't get the attention. And there's consequences to that. So I would love for us to speak about that. I think that would be a great thing to do today. You know, I really do like this topic a lot. It also makes me really uncomfortable because as a mom of two other children, I have two daughters as well as my son. It makes me uncomfortable with the fact that I probably neglected my daughters in some way or another. And in retrospect, or right, reflecting on my whole situation, I wish that I had actually had the, and and we did do various family counseling. It wasn't great, but I wish I had done more of that and I had received more help in that particular area. I think I was relatively good at, so I would do things to try and counter act that, that they weren't getting the attention like my son was. So doing things like when things were in a really tense time within the house and they were in the house, if I needed to cool down or whatever it was, I would grab my daughters and get in the car and drive off, right? Like, okay, come on. Because I always felt like it's not okay to leave them having to have to deal with this situation by themselves. And I wonder, Lori, how much, Kayla, how much do you say to children at what point and uh, about the situation? It, it leads me to that whole conversation of what they actually know, which is probably a lot more than the parent thinks. Always. It just remember that the, the functional child is the parentified one as well. Even if you're a fully functioning parent, they're trying, they're in their heads trying to figure out how to manage in the world. It's like, how do I deal with this? And what do I do? And how does this work? And what's he going to be like next? Or what's she going to be like next? And they're already in their own process of trying to figure out how to manage it. So they're already They know everything. There's no way that you can grow up in this environment and not know as much. You might not know the the gory details, but you know that you're dealing with dysfunction. You know you're dealing with somebody who can't handle it. And what the, the term that I came up with with my mom was I called it justifiable unavailability. I knew why my mom wasn't available but, <laughs> and, and it made sense to me, but she still wasn't available to me. And that hurt her so much when she heard that at 22 or 21, whatever it was. And I understood it, but it still left a hole for me. And and I did know everything that was going on and I did understand it. But there's emotional needs that are separate. And and the other thing that happens is if you're in a a home where there's all this crisis and the person's making scenes or overdosing or whatever they're doing, you then develop your own form of anxiety where you're you're reacting to the situation and you cannot express it because for me, my dynamic was I could not add more to my mom's stress. 
I could not. So whatever was going on, then my motto was deal with it, deal with it, deal with it. And I meant that meant myself. So I feel like one of the tools that I would have loved my mom to have is to come to me and say, how are you doing? How does this affect you? Talk to me. I want to hear what you're feeling and what you're thinking and not feel like that was going to be another burden on her and not feeling guilty that that was going to push her over the edge because I felt like she didn't have enough bandwidth for me to do that. And and I just feel like to to reach out. And, and I know, Dominique, you were talking about a scenario where the younger sibling was being used as a resource by the older sibling. And that's a perfect example, because that's the parentification that I'm talking about. It's like it's it's just, you're being used in a place developmentally that you're not prepared for. So you wind up becoming this adult child, you know, where you're. 10 or 13. And it's, you know, somebody in the family is expecting you to have more tools and skills than you actually have. Which led actually the conference leader to say, when we heard this story, um, can you say more about the story again? Well, she's she's 13 and she, they were two children. She and the older brother who was 26 and uh, the 26 year old had some mental health issues and uh, an opioid dependence eventually. And he would run around the country and call her in these desperate moments when he felt like he wasn't going to make it. And and he would lay this on her in a phone call and she would turn to her mother and and the mother was checked out at 26. The, this was no more. She couldn't handle it anymore. And she had decided just to ignore the she said, oh, he's just trying to get some attention. Right. And and what does a 13 year old do with that? And it led the conference leader to say, well, then we should teach craft to children, which has never been done or studied. So we we don't do that. But this extremely um, capable clinician thought it's happening. Let's give these kids some some tools. Right. And I hear that. And I think it's really important. One, I think it's important. I, I, I agree. Craft should be taught everywhere from a very young age. Yeah, right. Kindergarten, uh, pretty much everywhere. I think the issue is, is the dynamic within the family because this is an opportunity for the mom to help teach the daughter about boundaries, about what she's responsible for and what she's not responsible for. And like Kayla's saying, if you don't have a parent who recognizes this stuff, how are you going to get the kid the resources, the 13-year-old the resources, and how are you going to prevent, like, um, what do you call it? Parentification. This, this woman now in her late, in her 40s had never heard the term parentification. She was absolutely, the whole thing was touching because I had two master clinicians give her this amazing amount of compassion and empathy for what this little child had been through. And, and it was a moving, moving session, but the term she said, I have never heard about parentification. Well, just by the way, it's not a coincidence that I became a therapist. Okay. So this is, it's the process. It's like you wind up developing the skills to live through it. Okay. And some people, become parentified and actually take this in your and you wind up being the controlling, you know, uh, 
problem solving listener carer, whatever. And then you have other people that it crushes and they wind up becoming anxious and depressed and feeling guilty and responsible. And they are, they are feel ignored. I mean, we all feel ignored, so don't get me wrong. It's just that we all do different things about that. You know, for me, it's like, I'm ignored. I'm not going to get it from somebody else. Let me be more functional so that I can get my needs met. And there's other people who just collapse into themselves and feel like they're never, they don't, they're not worthy of anything. And so it's like everything else, everybody has their own way of dealing with it. But I feel like if we could teach parents to turn towards that child you know, even if they're not making a lot of noise and say, what's this like for you? But the most important thing is that whatever they say, it goes back to the craft model. You are not taking it in and absorbing it. If they say you're ignoring me, I feel like I'm not important. If they feel if they say, you know, I I don't get my needs met and you're only paying attention to this one and you should kick them out because he's ruining my life, whatever. You're not going to absorb that as guilt and blame and shame, because if you do that, then you become part of the problem and you effectively silence that person and they will not talk to you because the, the siblings are very sensitive to how their effect on other people. And so if, if you're open and just listening and validating without the absorption piece, it actually allows the person to process. Right. And just go back, go back to reflective listening and go back, exactly. go back to craft, right? Just go back to those skills of, you know what, that sounds really difficult. And what are some things do you think I can do to kind of relieve some of that pressure that you might feel on yourself? That's right. And I, and I, and I think about as soon as you lay it on yourself, if you don't know the rim of blame and shame and guilt, you need to find that rim inside yourself so you don't step close and fall into it. And and because what happens is as soon as you do that, you're less effective. You're less effective for yourself. You're less effective for both your children. So you've got to find a way to have some resilience, be able to shield and, and hear it, but not not have it kick you in the stomach. Except the fact that you're not the perfect parent and nobody is. Right. And, and the way I look at this is it's information. Okay, and so if you can kind of have a little space between you and the information that you're receiving, it's like, wow, that's really interesting. I didn't realize that, you know, that's fascinating, whatever. If my mother had done that as opposed to, you know, basically put the knife in her chest after she heard me talk, I would have felt much better. (laughs) But instead, she was like she went into this shame spiral. I'm like, I'm not saying it for that reason. I just need you to know. You know, and if they're younger, you could actually change the dynamic. And I also think it's important to notice that or to remember that the sibling that is appearing to be really well put together. Right. I mean, you talked about these two where you either get crushed and kind of fall in on yourself or you end up with a sibling that is um, works things through and very independent. Over-functioning. That's yeah. Over-functioning. That's all that person also needs caretaking <laughs> that person. Especially. Yes, that person is also and, and it's interesting because I, I do have two siblings outside of outside of my son and the two different responses to the situation. And I do have the real problem solver and it's the problem solver that has said things like, 
I can't, and this is later, you know, later in life, I can't take this on. I can't take this on. And I've had to say to her, no one's asking you to, and you shouldn't. It's not your problem. You get to sit back and not take this on and, and that's okay. And it's interesting just kind of realizing that it's the problem solver that actually I'm more worried about than I am the one who kind of distanced, but still has a connection, if that makes sense, and doesn't take it on. But also, you know, uh, I think it's important, of course, to to be there and validate both of my other children as well as my son. But that's a huge point, Lori. What you're saying is that the problem solver is the one that is taking everything on. Mm-hmm. And imagine being 13, like this person that you're talking about, and taking on your responsibility to keep somebody alive. It's a little bit, That's I mean, huge. for any of us, it's too much. It anyway, is too much. But at 13, you're trying to figure out who you are in the world and how to like make friends in junior high school right? um, and whether you want to play soccer or not. But what happens is that if you are that problem solver, you feel like it is your job to save the world, which is basically that's where I landed in this. My brother had a complete opposite reaction. He's like he just did his own thing. But he I think he had more. I think it affected his self-esteem. And also, he didn't get taken care of in the way he needed to either. So he got attention in a different way. Basically, what I'm talking about with this is positive attention. It goes back to the craft model. It's not that you're going to soothe the person's soul or fix them or whatever. As the parent, you turn back around and it's like, let's spend time together. Right. Talk to me about your day. Right. You know, what's going well? What if you're if they say they're stressed, tell me about your stress. Don't fix it. Just let them tell you about their stress. Be somebody that they can reach out to and make time for them, no matter what the crisis is with this other person. I actually think as as the parent doing that, it winds up calming your system down because you hear the problems that your other kid has. And it's it's more in the manageable range as opposed to I have to keep somebody alive. And, you know, in this particular case, as a mother, and trying, you know, we, we spend so much time focused on our loved ones. And if our loved ones don't make it and they do pass, the guilt and the shame, I cannot imagine being 13 years old and feeling like this is my job. I have to save him. And then you're not able to do that and having to have to carry that through life. I can't imagine how difficult that must be to work through into adult life. Right. Absolutely. I just have a quick observation, which is I've worked with families for years and years and years, and I have seen this two, three children households. And the one they come in with for, of course, is the loved one with the addiction issues and, and, Inevitably, the the sibling is like, well, she's the editor of a magazine in New York City and this one's off the, you know, I just finally got it. I see how that happens because you're looking at the same parents and you're going, how much is the parental role here responsible? How much is the environment? But it's the dynamic and the siblings themselves that situate, as, as you're saying, Kayla, into this functional, over-functional problem solving. And that leads you into maybe a commercial success in life, uh, professional success in life, 
if you are resilient, but it's very new to me to think of it that way. But it's not without consequences because what happens is if you're an overfunctioner, and I think a lot of the parents that we work with are overfunctioners, and because of their own stories, that the place that you're wounded is the place of relationship. So you could be amazing in life, but in relationship, there's all the patterns of like not trusting people or not letting yourself be vulnerable or, you know, take being an over carer of people. And like this person, like it's great that she's the center, but she cares for everybody. And then it goes back to the question that we ask in our groups all the time, which is, what about you? Are you caring about yourself? Are you taking care of you? Or And it goes back to mom, not teaching the daughter how to set some good, healthy boundaries for herself as as well, right? Those lacking in those healthy boundaries that she didn't get when she was younger. I also want to add one piece to this too. And that is that it's important to, to recognize that this is not exclusive to substance use disorder. Oh my God, no. Right? This is so not (laughs) exclusive to substance use disorder. So many illnesses, this is what happens when there's a chronic illness within the family. The way I would define it is there's a high need person. Yeah. And that's what this is about. And justifiable attention on this high need person, but at what cost? So to me, this is the, the real discussion is about balance. It's like, yes, that person needs a lot of attention, But what about the person who's doing the caring? How do you put attention back on yourself? How do you give attention to the people that are not high needs who actually possibly have more to give to you and have more connection and more ability to have back and forth, which also fills your needs? So that's what I'm talking about here is the balance. Um, And then and then I also think it's healthier to take for the person who's actually out there using substances or has the chronic illness not to be the focus of attention because that's not real life. It's like, you're not the center of the universe. You're just one part. And if, if there's more back and forth, then, you know, it actually gives you more balance, you know, where you don't get everything that you need from other people. You have to get it yourself. Well, (laughs) I think it is. I think this was another fantastic conversation and uh, very, actually, I think a very difficult conversation to have something that's going to be a bit of a struggle for those out there listening to just sit back and think about what was discussed here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, 